Where are you now, uh, Slavoj? At home, Ljubljana, uh, isolated and full aware. One should emphasize this again and again. We who are able to isolate ourselves, we are up to a point the privileged ones. Just think a little bit. How many things have to function so that we can be more or less, you never know, safely isolated? Electricity, water, garbage. Somebody should bring you food or you risk going out. Uh, how many, you know what I mean, how many uh, uh, pharmacies should be open, uh, doctors available, and so on and so on. So, you know, I get furious when people say, now we are all in a lockdown isolated. No, we are not. It's a minority of us who are isolated. Uh, precisely, and I think that we are like, uh, like precisely as you were describing, we are like witnessing uh, this lockdown apartheid on uh, those who can be sacrificed by the system and those who can, uh, as us, uh, take the luxury of staying at home and so on. But something that you mentioned, and um, uh, since uh, you are in Slovenia, we are also seeing a uh, uh, speedy authoritarianism happening everywhere. And I wanted to ask you first, uh, before we get into the topic, yeah. how there, because things are very bad in Hungary, and but I, I, I heard that there's something going on in Slovenia as well. Uh, you know, in all countries, the problem is to what extent you can trust the data, the official statistics. For example, one of my favorite countries in the world, uh, Iceland, Iceland, Reykjavik capital. It may appear that they are in terrible trouble. They, the whole country has only around a little bit less than 300,000 inhabitants, and they have over 1,200 uh, 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 infected. Yeah, but you know why? Because they... They, it's an incredible amount of people that they have tested and so on and so on, you know. Like, how much testing is there? How reliable testing is? And so on and so on. Statistics mean a, lit, a lot here. Uh, uh, there are a lot of cover-ups already. That's why I always repeat, we need Julian Assange. I take him now as a metaphor of a certain attitude more than ever, because it's obvious that many governments uh, manipulate, don't tell the real story. They say we have situation under control, while down there it's chaos and so on. My good friend, John Cobject from New York, whose husband, Michael Sorkin, died a couple of days ago as the victim of coronavirus, told me that officially it's that everybody over 60 or 70 can get easily tested. No, she, she can't get tested in the middle of Manhattan and so on. So again, uh, uh, I answer like this, why a songs today? Because it's obvious that uh, we need at least temporarily all these measures of self-isolation, controlled movements, and so on and so on. And I'm not, now this may surprise you, I'm not terribly afraid of them. You know, some leftists, Agamben and others, claim, oh, 
those in power are using this uh, coronavirus crisis to keep us under control, to introduce a permanent emergency state and so on. They like us in a panic. If, if I, my counterpoint to this is that, of course, there is this temptation to use it. For example, how are we talking now? Through, uh, through Zoom, through the internet. But wait a minute, internet doesn't function alone on itself. If the state decides, the state together with big company, they can disconnect that, us and so on. But what I want to say is another thing. The truth story is not just that government is seeding panic, imposing control and so on and so on. Isn't it clear from what is happening now? Sorry. <coughs> this is not a dry cough. So I hope it's not the virus. Yeah. Uh, those in power are also in a panic. Never forget this. If there is something clear from all these official informations that we get, look just at the United States, all the mess of contradictory uh, messages that we get. Isn't it clear that those in power, state agencies and so on, are those who are really in panic? They don't control the situation. But but uh, to that point, I, I will I would like to push back because um, you know I come from a, you know banana republic from a very very limited country with a very corrupt elites. But now more, more and more, all the countries are looking like my country, Guatemala. And what is happening there, and what's happening everywhere, is that these elites, yes, they are panicking, but they are protecting their own people, you know. And with all the privatized health system and the health system collapsing. We, uh, at the beginning of this virus, we thought that we were on the same boat. But more and more, I have, I'm under the impression that there, there's many boats and that the little boats of the Global South are sinking very rapidly. And then, and then, and, and we, we are like more divided than ever, even if there's this, uh, um, nice words of we all unite that same threat. I think that we have very, very different tools uh, to fight it. Uh, just an example, a quick example, and I would like yes. to hear about it. Uh, Central African Republic, big country, three ventilators for all the people. Who is going to use it if they get sick? Obviously, the elites. So who, who dies? Yeah, but but uh, America, uh, if you talk about Central African uh, Republic, you know. America is, United States themselves are Central American Republic now. Because... You know that the elites provided for themselves and so on. I, I know the situation very well. It's not only now, it's already, and that's the most disgusting thing, thing. It's already for weeks when the message from those in power, the very rich and so on, was uh, don't panic and so on, that they were already panicking. They were already for example, I, uh, hiring private jets, private planes to move to remote islands uh, or, or to those famous in uh, Rocky Mountains, ex-Cold War uh, bunkers where they can survive for half a year and so on uh, without any external contact and so on and so on. I know, but nonetheless, I would insist that uh, at least in, even in China, or in the West now, 
those in power are tested. For example, uh, isn't it that when you see those in power so obviously disoriented, not knowing, just as you just said, just saving their skin and so on, if they can retain all the force, all the privileges that you want. But I hope something, some basic trust will be broken. We will, because we may be critical and so on, but don't underestimate the extent to which we still counted till now on the state. Okay, they may be evil, corrupted, but somehow they guarantee that things work. Now, hospitals are approaching panic and so on and so on. I, I still think that, again, uh, okay, let me tell you, so that I don't lose time, another story. You know that whenever revolutions happen, like I know this moment in Iran revolution or in Romania when Ceausescu fell down, even while those in power are still in power, there, there is a moment when kind of a symbolic break where people simply no longer take them seriously and simply ignore them. You can still use all the terror, but somehow you know the game is over. For example, in Iran, it was after some big demonstration in Iran, I mean, when Khomeini overthrew Shah, there was an event on a big square where a police was killing uh, demonstrators. And although the Shah remained in power for two months more, from that point, everybody knew it's over. I but, think something at this level is already happening. Sorry, please go on. But now it's different because now, I mean, the, the thing that we do not have today, we do not have the possibility to go to the square without like risking like lives of others. That has been like the, the, the we, what we have been told by the authorities. And, the, uh, and, I, and so how can we use this moment and this fear that the elites have right now to our advantage? How can we, how can we seize the space and impede that, the, that things, of course, things will not can continue normally. It, it can get really, really worse than today. And than yesterday, and and so how can we seize the moment if we cannot mobilize in the streets, like strikes or what? Yeah. what yes, of us uh, for us to take action. Uh, but yes, I see your point, of course, and of course I see here a great danger. I'm not a naive optimist. I'm not saying as some people think, oh, now there is a chance for communism and so on. What I meant by this is the irony how. Those in power themselves see the emergency air and are acting like some kind of a primitive even idea of communism. Sorry, but who, who would have even imagined half a year ago for Boris Johnson to, you know, to temporarily nationalize the British railways? Who would have thought for Trump himself to evoke that uh, Cold War Act so that he can now directly directly control or uh, private companies, order them what to produce, and so on and so on. Isn't this a, a, a cruel irony that they are now acting, 
but not radically enough as communists. Why not? When you say we are uh, uh, alone, no, it's again, maybe we the isolated one. But nonetheless, one of the bright spots, friends from Brazil, my friend Gabriel Tupinamba wrote me, uh, even in England, it was a beautiful moment. You know that when the British government made the call uh, for volunteers, over half a million people volunteered immediately. Because remember, it, this situation is the situation of the privileged ones, that we are isolated, controlled, and so on and so on. No, no, they, they still need our cooperation. And uh, they know very well that if they will not maintain some kind of an order through maintaining people's trust and so on then, and I see this as quite a serious option, that some kind of uh, global disorder can explode. For example, in the United States, don't you think it's quite possible that in some of these Bible Belt backward uh, states of the United States, local militias will take over to protect people and so on and so on? If you ask me, I tend to believe those who claim that, okay, Europe, it's horrible what's happening. But much greater problem I see on the one hand in the United States and on the other hand in some, but they are not even undeveloped what we call third world countries. Like, for example, uh, I don't know, who knows what will happen in India. The very idea of isolation is absurd in India. Not only in India, but think also about uh, refugees, migrants. They don't have a home. How can they isolate? You know what I mean? So no, I would say first, uh, it's clear, even to those in power, that to control the situation, they have not only to allow, but to the state alone cannot do it. They have not only to allow, but to solicit the local mobilization of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in communities to take care of those who are sick, alone, ill, and so on. This is the one thing that, that is needed. So not only the state has to act as an almost communist state, taking over, violating the market, people, this crisis will not be, not even controlled minimally without mobilization of local people, checking in your part of the city, are there any old isolated people, how to take care of them? And another thing clear, also on the other edge, it's now clear how, if anything, Bernie Sanders wasn't radical enough. The problem is not just universal health care in the United States. We need literally, okay, it's crazy, it sounds crazy now, but some kind of global health care system, some mechanisms to follow epidemics all around the world to act in a coordinated international way, how to prevent them. Because, you know, I read some uh, texts uh, on Wikipedia, I admit, about viruses and so on, and I learned an interesting thing. Do you know that viruses are part of our 
bodily existence and daily life. And they are not only bad, they can be even very good. Like I read somewhere that to process our food normally, you need a tremendous amount of viruses and bacteria in your stomach. Without this, it doesn't function. I read that viruses very similar to coronavirus were all the time circulating. This time, they just went a little bit over the tip. So all this has to be controlled and controlled at a worldwide, worldwide, worldwide sorry, level. So I think this idea... It doesn't work. It's not realistic. I know this is the dream of those in power. For example, the most disgusting example. Did you see on his Facebook page? I think somebody showed it to me. David Geffen, the movie producer, put on Facebook. He is on a yacht in Atlantic, gigantic yacht, isolated, uh, swims, uh, uh, enjoys life there, and so on and so on. He can do it for a month or two and so on, but then it's over. I don't believe that the rich will succeed in surviving in this isolated way, because again, for them to survive, hundreds of thousands, millions of others have to be active to risk their lives. And now I, will, I would like to draw your attention to where I think uh, Trump is cheating. You know, when Trump is saying we cannot be all the time in a lockdown, at some point things have to start moving and so on and so on. And when Trump even uses a little bit this anti-elite language, claiming, yes, New York intellectuals, professors, journalists can isolate themselves, but what about ordinary people, and so on, and so on. In some sense, Trump is right here. But the problem is that those ordinary people are now in such a danger, unprotected, because of Trump's economic politics. You know, he abolished that some committee for uh, 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 fighting epidemics, he curtailed healthcare, and so on and so on. And that's the disgusting situ- uh, strategy of Trump. On the one hand, he uh, uh, put ordinary people into very precarious situation, and now that's the horror. He, Trump, is well, and now he, Trump, poses as the failure, sorry, as the savior of the ordinary people. Look, I want you to go back to work and so on and so on. But you know what this means? That Trump is well aware that uh, it's also because of his politics that millions of ordinary people are in such desperate position that they tell themselves, listen, if I don't go out and work, I will starve. For me, I would rather risk three, four, five percent of death than to stay at home and let my family starve and so on. You see, that's that's the horror of the situation. The horror of the situation, I saw it as well in England, in the UK, you know, like uh, last weekend, the royals and celebrities and everybody were clapping, clapping like seals to uh, celebrating the NHS workers, the very same NHS workers who wanted out uh, before Brexit happened. 
And so this is double standard of, of uh, celebrating the heroes saving our health and not condemning and not taking the responsibility of defunding a system because- uh, I totally agree with you. This is, this is, I think, the most disgusting thing, this thanking all those people still walking on the streets and so on and so on. Well, it's as if uh, the ruling class is applauding ordinary people who work for them, who take risks for them and so on. But that's why, again, the only, I wonder what is your solution here? My solution is a very radical one, again. It's some kind of a wartime communism. We should, and in Germany, I trust Germans here. All Germans are not Nazis. They're also good organizers. You know, there is an idea already uh, to establish a list of People who are, it's not clear, but more or less, at least for two months or what, immune, who survived coronavirus. It would be crucial today, for example, to have a list of people on whom you can rely, and we should maybe ruthlessly mobilize them. We, we need measures like this. We, need, we are out of the economy of money, market, and so on and so on. But you know, to put those ideas, I'm, I'm at the moment in Berlin, in Germany, I can see it, I can see it totally happening here, here with that strong uh, rule of law somehow. Uh, if you look at Brazil, just the idea of creating lists of people, of people possibly immune in the hands of a psychopath like Bolsonaro, it, it gives me the chills. You know how the, those lists will be probably lists of how, how when you open this door of the yeah. state, Classifying, you yeah. not even uh, this humanized brutalism, but to to an actual genocide happening. I mean, uh, how how easily and how thin is the line on the the measures uh, that the states are deploying now? And this is state of war, war against the virus to save some lives, and how how quickly that can become permanent, and how can it become like a yeah? But here, as you yes. I see your point, but I would nonetheless say two things that uh, nonetheless we should be aware if there will be this type of mobilizations and so on, you know, that of course it can be misused, but doesn't this nonetheless show that the rich cannot simply survive in isolation? They need us. Let's imagine the rich will withdraw, try to control things from afar and so on and so on. Who knows what will happen afterwards when, if things return a little bit to some kind of a totally new type of normality. I cannot imagine capitalism surviving the way it works now. There will have to be radical changes or maybe there more brutal direct uh, dictatorship. It's one option. Again, I'm, I'm not simply an op communist optimist now. I, I, on the one hand, we can get direct uh, chaotic barbarism, local gangs taking over so that the model of the world will be, which was for me now, the most unhappy country, Democratic Republic of Congo, where local warlords work and so on and so on. Because, you know, what... Uh, <coughs> sorry. In our obsession with virus, we should not forget that, first, two things. First, 
there are still terrible problems, suffering going on. Look, as we learned, refugees from the Middle East still try to penetrate Europe. Now, in a normal state of things, one would have thought, but this is madness. Why would you try to enter a place which is in total lockdown and so on and so on? Obviously, these people are so horrified of their predicament that they say better in a country which is under a lockdown, very heavy epidemic than where I am now. Now, again, this is one, this is, this is, One, this is just one of the problems I see. The second thing is this one. Uh, when, uh, you know, when the rich isolate themselves into their islands, whatever, or yachts or uh, private resorts, uh, uh, they still think in, I think, as far as I can judge, they still think in the terms of, oh, this will be maybe two, three months crisis, Let's keep it safely here. Then things will return to normal. Maybe they will, but it will not be as simple as that. It will not be the same normality. And, and uh, at that point, uh, I don't think, again, that the ruling class will be able to survive. Maybe, but then it has to be, again, direct barbarism. I don't think this... I don't think that if the ruling class will want to survive this crisis because never forget that uh, the, uh, the, uh, the philosopher uh, uh, of so-called assemblages, Bruno Latour, wrote now a good text where he says that the coronavirus crisis is just a dress rehearsal for the forthcoming global warming ecological crisis. We, it, it's not, you know, often in our media, I find it so ridiculous, don't you, when you read like, okay, Olympics will be okay in October, okay next year, okay, as if we are talking about a, a short nightmare, okay, not so short, a couple of months, and then life will return to normal. No, the whole financial structure of capitalism will be ruined, normality will not return, and there I see an option. Because, you know, uh, those in power will not be able to pretend now things return back to normal. The first question will be, if not this epidemic, then maybe a softer one, but maybe even a harsher one will probably return. Or this will be combined with uh, ecological crisis or with other types, like I read now, but it's not in the media since we are all so focused on corona crisis. Do you know that in northeastern Africa and Arab Peninsula and Pakistan, and now in China, they're in a panic, they will go there. They have a giant locusts, locusts invasion. You know what hunger catastrophe this has, this can trigger and so on. Isn't this clear that some type of, it's a matter of survival, communism, is today, by communism, I don't mean uh, Soviet Union, Central Committee rules, I mean simply these three things. Relatively efficient state, which has the power to violate market rules, to organize healthcare and so on, to keep people alive, 
supplemented on the top with strong active international cooperation and on the bottom with local mobilization, I think it will become clear to people that we need this, not as some kind of utopian communist ideal, it's the urgency of life. I prefer not to think, but I have to think again, what are the options if we do not do this? Again, those people from Trump to Boris Johnson, even some well-meaning people whom I don't consider so bad, like Macron or the Italian prime minister, they still talk in the terms of two, three months crisis, follow our orders, and then we return to normal. No, things will not return to normal, and that's the political moment. But you know, like the problem is that there's a special group of people who are not talking, they are not talking in such terms. They're very, very thinking ahead, and I'm very afraid of them, and this is the technology giants, you know, they love the idea of the dystopia to continue. They are the ones of the few profiting to, to the maximum out of this crisis. And they're like really like already preparing the solutions, the tech solutions uh, to, to permit to keep certain level of normality in this dystopia that we are heading. And this, you, you talk about humanized brutalism, I think more of a techno barbarism uh, of total control in, few, in the few hands of technocrats, of, uh, of technology companies in, in the U.S. Because that's the other thing that I would like to discuss. What will be like the, everybody's fascinated in the way uh, South Korea and China control this crisis with the help of, uh, of this, new, this new cast, these new, new priests uh, of the, uh, with the magic solutions of technology and data. So I want to, I want to, what, what will, will, this be the, the official moment when the Chinese model is like installed as the global moment? What will be like, what is this power shift that we are uh, uh, witnessing now? And how do you see uh, the reconfiguration of power in the, the, the not so great uh, future that we might have if we do not activate this new form of communism? Uh. I totally agree with you. This is one option. This, I agree with you, not so much barbarism with human faith, but technological barbarism. Let's call it like this. There will be brutal rules, and it's not even a future. Discreetly, I was told by friends from New York, from Italian cities where I have friends, you know that they are already doing this. They are simply making judgments. In some Italian hospital, and it's a tragic decision, maybe they have to do it. You know that they simply say, if you are over 65 and have also diabetes or something, okay, you are not worth a respirator. This respirator. So they are already doing very brutal decisions at this level, uh, and so on and so on. But I think, <coughs> sorry, I think nonetheless that uh, that. Uh, this game, again, can go on for some time. Uh, and I don't think even those companies that you mentioned, the mega technology company, can simply change this or impose this on us, make it some kind of a permanent, technocrat let's call it technocratic dictatorship. If nothing else, 
don't underestimate another antagonism here. You know, don't dismiss all scientists, and I don't like to use the word technocrats, but people who do these measures of control and so on, as evil people. We need them. Science is today needed more than ever. And what I predict, it's already appearing. Look at the United States and so on. It's how many uh, top scientists and so on are already uh, are already uh, uh, rendering problematic how power mechanisms work and so on and so on. So, so it's uh, I I uh, I don't think that big technological companies simply form one evil block against ordinary people. I what I fear more is that uh, this rule of barbarian technocracy will get combined with some new brutal populism. You know, in the United States, they're already talking this language. Like, it's a very brutal Darwinian language. It's the language of, okay, ultimately, this crisis will be even beneficial for a society. We will get rid of the old, of those who were just ill, too weak, the burden, and so on and so on. Those who will survive will be, it's a, the Nazi logic, Hitler practiced this. This is why, as you probably know, Hitler wasn't killing just Jews and, uh, and Roma, the gypsies. Hitler, Hitler was also killing mentally disabled, old, and so on and so on. And I still think that, uh, I still think that uh, this is too simple paranoiac vision. It's an option. But I think that at a certain point, politicization will re-enter. What world do we, we... The problem will be, as I call it, that of re-normalization. Yeah. Think, when things will return to normality, what kind of normality will it be? I totally agree with you. One option is this technocratic normality. Big companies and government will say, if you want to save life, you must uh, concede that you are totally controlled and so on and so on. On the other hand, it will be direct barbarism and so on. But I think that these are not the only options. I don't think that the technocratic elite will succeed in this simple way of just legitimizing by perpetuating the crisis, legitimizing their rule. Because if this happens, uh, you know what's the problem? The, uh, the problem is that uh, I don't think how this can fit the logic of existing capitalism. This type of permanent emergency state means such a tremendous change in our economic system. We no longer have this global consumerist capitalism. More than half of our industries, car industries or whatever, are out and so on. We will have to reconstruct our daily lives. And this is not so easy. I don't believe here in this all power, all, all powerful state agents and so on. Sorry, please go on. And I have some questions uh, from, you know, like uh, lots of people from different uh, places no from, from to Berlin. 
uh, they are watching. And one of the questions is, what do you think about this big bailout? I mean, the bailout that uh, uh, millions and trillions given to corporations and then the... On the one hand, it's necessary to do it and it proves how. You know, again, according to traditional economic market wisdom, this is a disaster, you cannot do it. I always like moments when all of a sudden the state can do things that are officially considered impossible. And you see, this is one hope that I see. All these bailouts, we all know, they totally violate market logic. We are already entering a different system. At a certain point, I claim here money, when you give trillions of dollars, no longer functions in the old capitalist way. It's a simple means of allocation. Marx thought money will function like this in the first stages of socialism. Money is no longer surplus exploitation and so on. It's simply a way you say those poor suffering has to survive. We have to give $3,000 to each family. But here problems immediately emerge. I totally agree with you. One has to look very closely <coughs> sorry, at these bailouts, uh, whom they are really helping. And I know how Trump is cheating here, how he is already protecting some companies and so on and so on. But I think that what we need is uh, we need this totally irrational from the market standpoint, print trillions of dollars, distribute them and so on and so on. But again, we should be very careful and we still have means of minimal, at least in some countries, democratic control to, to look closely as, at how this money will be spent. But, you know, uh, still, again, uh, I, I think that the crucial thing is that capitalism as we knew it is at in the last stage here. State is doing things which even in the worst crisis till now, in the Great Depression, late 20s and so on, or for example, in the financial crisis of 2008, you remember, they threw also $1 billion and then more. But this was done in a different way. It was clearly a gift to the banks to keep the economy functioning. Now something much more radical is happening. It no longer fits the capitalist logic. So how will, and on the other hand, it's clear that you cannot just, you, the system cannot survive through just printing trillions and so on. Somebody has to work and so on and so on. Problems are still ahead of us. I wouldn't, I am also like you, basically, a pessimist. But I think a space for struggle will open up. Well, I think that uh, I, there's lots of optimism. Actually, I'm, I'm usually a pessimist, you know, like, and I have to, I have done this case of our friend comrade Julian with constant influx of bad news. But lately, I have seen three things that um, give me a little tell bit me, of hope. Tell me, yes, which uh, ones? Uh, gangs, gangs, you know, uh, in favelas in Rio de Janeiro and in Central America, 
they declared a cease of fire and they declared that they will respect their lockdown and help the communities. Per see, se. this is one thing, yes. The most barbaric, the most, barbaric, the most like you disliked elements of society, rogue elements of society, acting in more rational manner than the authorities in the country. In the state also, but yeah, yeah. The second thing was, uh, and that's very interesting, is uh, strikes. Strikes, how workers in the U.S. from warehouses, uh, from uh, these gig economy, uh, very precarious jobs and so on, are getting organized and are boycotting, especially in this moment when they are needed the most, how they are leveraging their rights and refusing to be just, you know, like uh, abandoned. Like we are seeing a re-emergence in the most precarious workers of uh, union, union uh, unions and also uh, of boycotts and uh, and uh, collective strikes. And with all these people at home, that keeps... Yeah, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but do you know that I know how the system will answer to this? They will say, ah, you don't want to help the suffering, uh, our survival relies on you. But you see, you have already shown out now how ordinary people, workers can strike back. You see, the system cannot function without them. And uh, I think that the majority of people will support these strikes because they, they see very well. These are not what Lenin called spoiled workers, aristocracy, who want their privileges. No, they are those who are really risking their lives so that we, some of us, can live a little bit more safely in our isolation. And they have the full right. You see, you see, now you are giving me, and you said you have three reasons which is the third reason even britney spears you know comrade britney spears that was one of the comments on uh, from uh, the people even even this pop star is starting to to the the statements that she's making uh, look like out of uh, uh, the mouth of marx it is very very interesting how like even even the most uh, naive pop stars and even people in the streets are starting to uh, to voice their demands in a language that is not the same language of the market, that is not the same language of technocrats that has been imposed on us uh, for so long. Yeah, but now it's interesting because we began as if I am too optimist and you thought, no, big companies which govern. Now I would say I don't trust all these celebrities too much because, you know, this is an old imperialist strategy, but there is a difficult situation, war and so on, then the ruling class and the rich are always ready to adopt this language of, you know, uh, we are now in the same, as you said at the beginning, in the same boat, solidarity and so on and so on. But then again, the, the crucial point will be not when the crisis will be over, it will never be. We will live in a viral world. But when, again, you cannot just do bailout and print money. We will have to ask the question of what new level of normality, what new system we will construct. And that will be the crucial political moment. And I claim that there is no return to the old. I see your fear that it will be what you called very nicely uh, techno-scientific barbarism. I see po potentials for a much more brutal barbarism in countries like India, Central African Republic, and so on, even returns of new 
magic thinking, I don't know, whatever. It's a nightmare. But I see uh, progressive potentials. In other words, what I don't agree with is even some of my leftist friends, now it's not a time for polemics, I will not name them, who claim now it's not a political moment. Now it's just a crisis. We just have to go through it to restore normality. No, I claim uh, that now precisely we have to be very attentive to, of course, we have to follow the orders to uh, minimize victims and so on and so on. But then the key point will be what kind of new, as you pointed out, new normality will be offered to us. This will be the critical moment. What, what will be offered to us? You know, like I, I think that we need to, <laughs> you always see, say we need to first think and then act. And now we have lots of time to like sorry, us watching this. And, 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 and from oh, here, sorry to interrupt you. I changed my position a little bit. Uh, of course, we also have to act here, not only, but also, you know, with whom I hope we will agree here, you know, with whom I also radically don't agree. With those idiots who claim, who try to give a cheap new age anti-consumerist consumerist spin to what is going on. You know, like now we have time to reflect what are really the crucial things in our lives. Have we really to be cheap consumerists and so on? I hate this so much. From when I was young, I distrust this critique of consumerism. You know, imagine some ordinary poor workers. Once a month, the wife can go out and buy a new dress. And then what right do we have to criticize her for consumerism? Maybe this is her only pleasure in life and so on. No, don't. Uh, I think that I don't believe this new age metaphysics of we will now get more sober, acquire some wisdom and so on. No, there will be no greater wisdom and so on. Thank you so much, because that's a, a point I fully agree with. I fully agree with, and also is a is a point uh, that brings me to s some uh, memories. You know, you might not know this, but in Guatemala, uh, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, and the first yeah. you might know this, they were they were uh, taking the advantage. That it was a quiet place. It was the the house of a great grandmother of a friend, yeah. very house. They were planning the revolution there. They 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 yeah. took quiet time to think, but think strategically and think yeah. about plans and think about strategies to seize that future they want and to make that future yeah. happen they wanted to see. So what I wanted to ask you is, uh, what can you say to the people watching this and how can we organize to start, right? We are more, we are more connected than ever. We can do it. I mean, we can do it in a very sophisticated way. How you see, you saw something so nice. This is one paradox. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm afraid to lose the momentum that people should remember. Uh, they are all, that's why I don't agree with those leftist critics who claim, oh, isolation isolates it. We are singularly isolated, but we are maybe more connected than ever, my God. And this is the first stage of thinking. Well, people should become aware that even to confront this type of problems, we need vast international links. 
We, for example, I read some very good leftist statistics where they say we have to learn the new rules that in Wuhan, if China would have not, were not to put the lockdown or were to do it just two, three weeks later, the catastrophe would be 20 times larger. But they say if they were to uh, uh, follow the advice of those first doctors who raised panic, maybe it would have been only a small local event and so on. We have to learn this in a coordinated way internationally. That's the paradox. How even this isolation and so on doesn't really isolate us. It connects us more than ever. I'm here not, not I mean, we don't know what horrors will still happen, you know. In the worst scenario, who knows? Some 5 to 10% of world population can disappear if there is total chaos in third world countries and so on and so on. But nonetheless, uh, I think that, don't you agree that it's not a big hope? I'm almost, if you ask me to put percentage, like I think, that more some kind of barbarism with a technocratic face will prevail combined with direct barbarism. But I think something of this tradition of, as you describe it wonderfully in favelas, local level, gangs cooperating, uh, 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 then national cooperation and so on. You know, uh, when we leftists were talking about cooperation and so on. Uh, uh, people thought, no, people are, usually people are egotists, you are utopian. Now we see it's not a matter of utopia. Precisely, if I want to be an egotist, as an egotist, to survive, I have to think globally. That's, that's what people should get. And to return to where I'm talking, that's why I support DM. DM was all the time making this message. DM criticizing European Union financial politics and so on. Nonetheless, also emphasized European unity. And point two, DM and Assange, this link, the only <coughs> way to at least control or prevent the horror that you painted of this new technocratic barbarism is <clears throat> more and more Assange's. People who work for those companies, we need whistleblowers, much more, many of them. And to be fair, <clears throat> not only against the United States. Now, wouldn't you like, I, in a way, maybe it worked. I admired how Chinese it looks. Let's not say too early, controlled it. But wouldn't you agree that it would be nice here to hear now, to hear from a Chinese Assange what really went on? No. And you know, that it's already like some stories are already out, not the horror stories of abuse of power, but something that the Chinese narrative doesn't tell you, that it was the network, the networks, the communities, the resilience of grassroots Chinese that what took them out of this chaos in the cities more of the solidarity at the grassroots levels, at the building level, yeah. 
new level. No, but this is one because if I since we I hope all like movies, horror movies, whatever. How is that guy called who occasionally write in Guardian, George Monbiot or what Monbiot? He made a wonderful comment today. Did you read it? Maybe we can conclude with this. He said that uh, in horror movies that we are used to, when you have an epidemic, people turn into zombies, they eat each other flesh. Now we saw no epidemics can also do the opposite can bring new solidarity, helping each other and so on. And once you have this, you know, it will not be so easy with all that. Assange is for me just one name of this new culture of whistleblowers. And we need, as Assange defined himself, spies for the people. Not spies who are stealing your secrets to sell them to another state, but spies who just make public your secrets. And you, you talk about, and that's a question from the audience, about uh, the poetry of tragedies and the poetry of moments and how we need poetry for these situations. Who are the poets at this moment and who are the important? Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Maybe somebody else. I'm not, I'm not too much into this. My strategy is much more desperate. I try to watch uh, horror TV series, horror movies, because, you know, their horror is still relatively benevolent, you know. Okay, we are looking for a serial killer, but how? So that the detectives go to a pub and take a walk and talk and so on, you know. So I, uh, uh, I, uh, I improvise very much. My advice is don't go what I already said into this bullshit, you know, think about the essentials of your life. No, stay calm as much as you can. And another advice I give is, it may sound very naive. They mean a lot. A lot of people told me. So simple acts of kindness. People feel alone, old, they are desperate and so on. Just if you meet someone, it will sound very strange from me, but if you meet some lone guy, greet him kindly on the street and so on, you cannot imagine how much small gesture of tender politeness can mean in such times. But you, you know, know, like... So you see... <laughs> yeah? Sorry, I didn't hear your... Sorry, this is a very paradoxical advice, uh, because now we cannot even get closer to those who matter most to us. And you have as the other as a potential biological weapon and all this distancing and all this. Uh, you cannot even touch yourself, touch your face, all this advice against contact. And against yeah, but nonetheless, you know, you still can. Okay, if you have a mask on uh, and it annoys me so much in my country, people are telling us wear masks when you go out, but there are no masks to buy. No? So now people improvise and so on. But what I want to say is that nonetheless, just uh, wave a hand, do, do small, small signs of human contact mean a lot in these times. Just, you don't have to do risky. Don't go there and embrace a guy. Just, you know, small sign from a distance. 
Well, leaving on that note, I, I hope that, uh, I mean, first, I thank you for all the time that you dedicated to us. And I mean, it means a lot to have you as a part of the DM movement and also as, as, as some of the inspiration of the progressive international movement that we are building here because DM is more than just Europe. It goes. And that's the most desperate thing. You see how right we were with Julian I talk, uh, about. Uh, Trump. Don't underestimate Trump. Did you notice in the last week or two practically a total absence of Joe Biden? Yeah, yes. It's absolutely clear that he was never even a serious choice. Joe Biden will be the Democratic candidate because the Democratic establishment made the choice Trump is better than Bernie Sanders. No, it is, it is a tragedy because we it's have... It's a tragedy. Tragedy because uh, with uh, with uh, Corbyn, Bernie, and other other names. But the the good thing is that we are learning, and we are learning fast, and we are some yes. we are more connected, as you said, than ever. And I think that this is the time that we need to seize to be build this progressive international, this progressive movement that will take us out of this. And your ideas, as always, are very inspiring. And um, sometimes well, I don't pretend too much. I'm uh, I just think you know I'm. A little bit like Greta Thunberg here, you know. Listen to science, learn. The only thing I know is that we all have to learn. I don't have a big lesson, but I have to learn. And again, my basic point is don't just say I have to survive now. Yes, you have to survive now. But already now, as you pointed out, This is not an apolitical moment. Here, I think Agamben was wrong when he said those in power wants us in pure panic, apolitical. No, as you said, political decisions are already made. This is becoming not just a struggle for survival, but an ultra-political moment. And as you said, if we don't... uh, think and act now very attentively, we may well awaken in what you describe as technocratic barbarism. It's a political moment now. A very important. Thank you very much. Thank you and so much. And I wish to, to visit you soon, hopefully in better conditions in Slovenia. And I, know, hope, I, I, I hope that we, you know, what's my favorite place to amuse some of people who are, if you ask me, which are my favorite places that I would like to visit? No, you will not believe me. Oh, uh, yeah. Iceland, Island, and the Svalbard Islands north of Norway. I always, every day, check Svalbard Islands are half the way to North Pole, north of Norway. Huh. There are a couple of thousand people just there, and I check every day, they still didn't get the coronavirus there. <laughs> so there is hope.